بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about some of the events that took place after the conquest of Mecca and we mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, after the conquest of Mecca, he stayed in Mecca for a number of days. He stayed for the remainder of the month of Ramadan. He prayed Salatul Eid in Mecca. And then the next day after Eid, he left Mecca and he headed towards At-Ta'if to neutralize the threat from the tribes of Hawazin. And these tribes of Hawazin they actually had initially planned to attack Medina. But now that they knew that the Prophet ﷺ was in Mecca, and Mecca is much closer to Ta'if than Medina. So they decided that they would come and try to attack the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims in Mecca. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't want any fighting to happen in Mecca. So he left Mecca and he headed towards Ta'if. So the tribes of Hawazin, they left Ta'if and they're heading towards Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, they left Mecca and they're heading towards Ta'if. So, of course, they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And they did meet in the middle in a land that is known as Hunayn. Now, the army of Hawazin, the Kuffar army of Hawazin, they were under the command of a man named Malik ibn Auf. Malik ibn Auf, he was a very young man. He was only 24 years old. So he was very hot-blooded and he was the commander of this huge army, the army of Hawazin. So he gave a strange command to his army as they left Ta'if and they headed towards Mecca. He gave a very strange command to the men of his army. He said to the men of this army, he said, bring all of your women and your children and carry all of your wealth with you. Bring your gold and your silver and your camels and your sheep and your goats bring all of it with you don't leave anything at home bring everything with you so this is a very strange command he gave but his reasoning for this was that he thought that if these people if these soldiers they have all of their wealth with them on the battlefield they have their gold they have their silver they have their women that this will prevent them from running away. This will prevent them from fleeing the battlefield. If things get tough, they're not going to run away because how are they going to abandon their women and their, their gold and their silver and all of their wealth? They're not just going to easily abandon it on the battlefield like that. So Malik ibn Auf, his, his reasoning behind this command was he thought that that would keep them firm and that would prevent them from running away. All right, also from the people who accompanied the army of Hawazin, there was a very respected and experienced warrior. And his name was Durayd ibn As-Summa. Durayd ibn As-Summa. And he was very well known amongst the Arabs as being a person who had a very high IQ in terms of military strategy. He was a very genius military a strategic warrior. And he had fought in many wars previously in the past. But now, by this time, by the time of Hunayn, he had already reached a very advanced age. Now he's an old man. So he had participated as a warrior in many battles in the past. But now he was at an age where he couldn't physically participate in battles anymore. He was over a hundred years old. So he would not be able to physically participate in the battles anymore. But they still brought him along as a consultant as someone who could advise them in terms of military strategy because he had a very brilliant mind and his mind was still as sharp as ever. Even though he was old and his body had become weak, his mind was still very sharp. So Durayd ibn al-Summa, he accompanied the army of Hawazin as well. And they carried him in a haudaj. He was not strong enough to, to ride on a horse or a camel by himself because of his weak body. So they carried him in a haudaj. And a haudaj is like a portable tent that would be kept on a camel. And a person could sit inside that tent and the camel would move forward. And this was usually used for women. This is how they used to carry women around because it had some privacy around it. But 
for Durayd ibn As-Summa, even though he was not a woman, he was a man, they still carried him in a hawdaj because that was the most convenient way to carry uh, a person who was in his physical state. So he was being carried in a hawdaj. So when he found out about Malik's order, when he found out about the order of Malik ibn Auf that the people should bring all of their women and bring their gold and their silver and all of their wealth with them onto the battlefield, when this advisor or this consultant, Durayd ibn As-Summa, he heard about this, he thought that this doesn't make sense. He thought this doesn't make sense. And so he called Malik. He called the young commander of the army. So imagine this, this 100-year-old man, experienced warrior. He calls the young commander of the army of Hawazin, Malik ibn Auf, this 24-year-old hot-blooded young man. He called him. And he said, why did you order them to bring their women and their gold and their silver and their animals with them? What is the purpose of this? And he explained, I think that if they have all of their wealth and everything with them, this will prevent them from fleeing the battlefield. Even if, th if things become difficult, they will not easily run away from the battlefield when they know that all of their wealth and their women are here. So Durayd, he said, this is nonsense. Durayd said, this is absolute nonsense. This is a ridiculous idea of yours. Do you think when someone is defeated, when the enemy is coming at them with their sword, do you think that they're thinking about their wealth? They're not even thinking about their families at this time. Everyone just wants to save themselves. So you are going to make a problem not only for the people, but you're going to make a problem for their families as well. Even if they lose the battle, you're going to make them also become bankrupt and lose their families as well. This is not a good idea of yours. So Duraid, as this elderly advisor, he tried to advise Malik not to go through with this. But Malik didn't agree with Duraid. Now the people, they're listening to this conversation between Duraid and Malik. And most of the people, they're leaning towards what Duraid is saying. They think that what Duraid is saying makes more sense. And add that to the fact that he is very experienced in these matters and he's an elderly man and he has much more wisdom than Malik who is this young man. Most of the people thought that what Duraid was saying made sense. So Malik was very offended at this, that the people were siding with Duraid because Malik is the commander of the army, not Duraid. Duraid was just brought in as a strategic advisor. So Malik was very offended when he saw people siding with Duraid. And he told the people, look, if you don't want to listen to me as your commander, then I will gladly step down from this position as your commander. And you can make Duraid your commander. You can make this 100-year-old man, he can be your commander. If you want that, I have no problem. And if you want me to step down from my post, look, this is what I will do. He took his sword and he put the handle of his sword into the ground so that the sharp edge of the sword is facing upwards and then he put his neck towards the point of the sword he said if you want me to step down as your commander i will gladly do it and i will impale myself on my own sword no problem if this is what you want i'm ready to do this and of course this is not what the people wanted they wanted malik to be their commander so they said to him okay okay we will obey you we will obey you and we will bring our wealth and our women out to the battlefield. But under one condition that whenever you make any decision, any big decisions, please do consult Duraid. This is the reason why he's here. Do consult him before you make any big decisions. Ask for his advice. And Malik agreed to this. He said, okay, whatever decisions I make, I will ask for advice from Duraid. So this is how this situation was resolved. Duraid's advice was not taken regarding bringing out the wealth and the women to the battlefield. So they did bring out all of the wealth and the women to the battlefield. So you can imagine what type of battlefield this became. It was full of gold and silver and animals and women. Right? But regarding other decisions, Malik did keep his promise and he would consult Duraid about every decision that he made. One of the pieces of advice that Duraid gave to Malik, he said, okay, now that we are here in the valley, they had reached the valley where Hunayn was,
He said, now that we are here, we should set up some traps. We should have our soldiers hide in strategic locations so that when the Muslims come, they will not know that we are here. We'll have our people hiding, ready to ambush so that when the Muslims come, they will be caught off guard. So this was one of the pieces of advice that Duraid gave to Malik to make these traps and to keep people in these traps to catch the Muslims off guard and to ambush them. So Malik agreed with this advice and he set up these traps. And the Kuffar army, they reached the place of battle before the Muslims reached. So they were able to set up all of these traps before the Muslims even reached the area. So these traps were set up and the Muslims had no idea about this. All right, now regarding the Muslim army, the Prophet ﷺ in his army, he had 12,000 men. 12,000 men. And this is the biggest Muslim army to date. There was never any Muslim army before this that had reached such a size. 12,000 men, including 2,000 new Muslims from the Quraysh. When the Prophet ﷺ, when he conquered Mecca by the permission of Allah, the Quraysh, the majority of them, they accepted Islam. So this new army that the Prophet ﷺ has going towards Ta'if, it includes 2,000 of these new Muslims from the Quraysh. So an army of 12,000 men. This is a huge army. Now Safwan ibn Umayyah, if you remember we spoke about him briefly, that when the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca, Safwan ibn Umayyah, who was one of the greatest enemies of Islam and one of the biggest enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, he had fled Mecca. He had ran away from Mecca. And the wife of Safwan asked the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, if Safwan comes back into Mecca as a Muslim, will you forgive him? Will you give him safety? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes. And then the wife of Safwan said, Ya Rasulullah, what if he doesn't want to be a Muslim? He's a stubborn person. What if he doesn't want to accept Islam? Then the Prophet ﷺ said, I will give him four months of safety to think about it. Four months of safety. So when Safwan's wife told him about this, he didn't become a Muslim yet, but he entered Mecca upon that promise of safety from the Prophet ﷺ that he would have four months to think about it. So at this point, Safwan was not a Muslim yet. Safwan was not a Muslim yet, but he was there in Mecca under this promise of safety from the Prophet ﷺ because this was still within that four-month period. Now Safwan ibn Umayyah, his business, he was an arms dealer. This is what he used to do. He used to provide people with swords and with armor and with weaponry. This was his business. And the Prophet ﷺ with his big army, he needed arms. He needed weaponry. So he went to Safwan ibn Umayyah and he said, Ya Safwan, I need you to supply us with weaponry. And remember, Safwan wasn't a Muslim yet at this point. So Safwan said, are you taking it from me by force? Are you going to take the weapons from me by force? Because the Prophet ﷺ, he is the commander now. He is the ruler. So Safwan said, are you going to take it from me by force because you are the ruler? And the Prophet ﷺ said, no, no, no. I just want to borrow it for me and my people. Just want to borrow it and I will return it. After we use it, we will return it back to you. And if there's any damage or anything to any of your goods, we will compensate you for it. So don't worry. So Safwan agreed. Safwan ibn Umayyah agreed and he supplied lots of weaponry to the Muslim army. He supplied them with swords and shields and other weaponry. So like we mentioned, this is the biggest Muslim army to date. 12,000 men. 12,000 men. Now compare this to Badr years earlier. How many Muslims were in that army? Just a little more than 300. And now it's 12,000, subhanAllah. So now that the Muslims have such a huge army and they are so large in number, they started to become impressed with their numbers. They started to think that, look, we are so big now. We have so many people. We are so powerful that we cannot be defeated. So they started to depend on their numbers. And this is a mistake. Rather, the complete dependence and reliance, it should be upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Look at Badr. They were so vastly outnumbered, but they still had an amazing victory. So it's not about numbers. Rather, it is about complete dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
But now that the Muslim army was so huge, 12,000 men, they started to depend on their numbers and they became impressed with the large number of soldiers that were in their army. So this was a mistake. So as the Muslim army was heading towards At-Taif, on their way to At-Taif, they passed by a tree. They passed by a tree called Dhat Anwat. Dhat Anwat. And this tree, it was a tree that the mushrikeen, that the idol worshippers used to consider blessed. And they would hang their swords on that tree and they would try to get barakah and blessings for themselves from this tree. So this was a type of shirk that the mushrikeen used to do. So now the Muslims, they pass by this tree. And remember, in this Muslim army, there are a number of new Muslims, fresh new Muslims who had just accepted Islam from the Quraysh. And just a few days earlier, they had been worshipping idols. Right? But now they are Muslims. So when they pass, pass by that tree, that anwat, the iman in their heart, it still wasn't very firm and strong. So some of them, some of those new Muslims, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, they said, Ya Rasulullah, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, make for us a tree like that anwat, like the mushrikeen, they have this that anwat. Make us a tree that we can use for barakah and blessings and stuff as well. So the Prophet ﷺ, he became upset with this. He's saying, you are saying the same thing that Bani Israel said to Musa. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved Bani Israel from the Fir'aun, they passed by a group of people who were worshipping some idols. And they said to Musa alayhi salam, they said, Ya Musa, ij'allana ilahan kama lahum aliha. They said to Musa alayhi salam, Ya Musa, make a god for us like these people have these idols, these gods. Make one for us too. So Musa alayhi salam, he was very upset with his people and he said, Qala innakum qawmun tajhalun. You are a jahil people. You are people who are ignorant. So the Prophet ﷺ said to his people, said to these new Muslims who had just accepted Islam, who Iman was not very firm in their hearts yet, he said, you are saying the same thing like Bani Israel said to Musa. And he said, this is wrong. Blessing only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these new Muslims, they asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness for this mistake. All right. So as they were moving forward, going towards At-Ta'if, the Prophet ﷺ sent a man to go observe the army of Hawazin. He sent a man forward to check the situation before the rest of the army came through. So he sent this man to look at the situation of the Kuffar army, of the Hawazin army, to see if they had set any traps or anything like that. But as we mentioned before, the Kuffar army, the army of Hawazin, they had reached the battle area before the Muslims. They had already reached before the Muslims. And they had set up their traps already in advance. They had set up all of their traps. So by the time this companion who was sent by the Prophet ﷺ to check if there, were any, if there were any traps, by the time he reached there, the traps were already in place. The traps were already in place and he could not see those traps. So he went there and he looked at the situation. He didn't see any traps. He didn't realize that there were any traps. But these traps were already in place and they had been set. So he came back and he informed them that there are no traps. And this shows the brilliance of Durayd's planning. The strategic planner of the Kuffar Durayd ibn Summa. It shows how smart he is. He's a very brilliant military strategic mind. So this man that the Prophet ﷺ had sent forward to observe, he came back and he said, no, it doesn't seem like they have set any traps. Now, Durayd also from his planning for the kuffar. Remember, he was not happy with the fact that there were women on the battlefield and that there were all sorts of animals and camels on the battlefield. He was not happy with this decision, but he said, okay, as long as I can't do anything about this decision and these women and these camels and everything, they're going to remain on the battlefield, I might as well think of a way to use it to our advantage. So what he decided to do is he said, okay, all of the extra camels, the camels that the people have brought, send them to the back of the army. Send all of those extra camels to the back of the army and put the women 
on those camels in the back. And it was a huge number of camels and a huge number of women. So he said, keep them in the back so that when the Muslims come and they see, they will not realize that in the back that those are women on those camels. They will think that they are soldiers. So our size will look much greater than it really is. So this was also one of the strategies of Durayt. So he ordered for all of those camels to be sent into the back of the army and the women to be on those camels so that an observer from the front would think that this army is so huge. And this is what actually happened. So when the Muslims saw that army, they thought that it was much bigger than it actually was. All right. As we mentioned, the Kuffar, they had already reached the valley where the battle was going to take place. They had reached that valley in advance. They had reached it before the Muslims. So when the Muslims reached, they were on a higher elevation. The battle was going to take place in the valley. The Kuffar had already reached the valley and the Muslims were on a higher elevation and they had to come down into the valley. And on the way down into the valley, that is where the Kuffar had set their traps on the way down into the valley. And the Muslims didn't know that there were any traps over there. So this was the situation. So the Muslims, when they arrived, they started moving downwards into the valley of Hunayn, where the Kuffar already were. So they started moving downwards. Khalid ibn al-Walid was the first one to move forward into the valley. Khalid ibn al-Walid and he was commanding a fleet of knights from Bani Sulaym, from the tribe of Bani Sulaym, who had also very recently accepted Islam. The tribe of Bani Sulaym, they had recently accepted Islam just before the conquest of Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ put Khalid ibn al-Walid in charge of this fleet of knights from Bani Sulaym and they moved forward going downwards into the valley. As they went downwards into the valley, the kuffar who were hiding in those traps, they came out and they ambushed Khalid and his knights from Bani Sulaym. So Khalid ibn al-Walid, he himself was personally very badly injured. He was very badly injured. And his knights from Bani Sulaym, when they saw what was happening, when they saw these kuffar coming out of the traps, they were caught off guard and they started to flee the battlefield. They turned around and they started heading back. They started heading back, back towards the direction of Mecca. Now, the rest of the Muslim army, they were behind Khalid and his knights from Bani Sulaym and they were still moving forward. So now Bani Sulaym, they're moving in the opposite direction and the rest of the Muslim army, they're moving forward. So they collide with each other. Bani Sulaym is going this way, the rest of the Muslim army coming this way, and it's chaos. It's chaos. And the people don't know what's going on. And many of the people, many of the soldiers from the Muslim army, they start to flee. They start to run away from the battlefield. Only the Prophet ﷺ himself and a few of the main Sahaba, they remained firm, like Abu Bakr and Umar and some of the other major Sahaba, they remained firm along with the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ was calling the people to come towards him. Come, don't run away from the battlefield. And he was calling out, He started saying loudly, I am the Prophet and this is not a lie. And I am the son of Abdul Muttalib. So the Prophet ﷺ was calling out to the people. And Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, he was one of them who stayed firm with the Prophet ﷺ as well. Now Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, he was a man who had a very loud voice, a very loud voice that could project very far. So this is a situation where you need someone with a loud voice to rally the army back when the people are fleeing the battlefield, to rally them back. So the Prophet ﷺ, he saw Al-Abbas and he knew that he could utilize the voice of his uncle to call the people. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, That the voice of Al-Abbas in a battle is like 1,000 men. So this was the voice of Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib So the Prophet ﷺ said to his uncle, he said to his uncle, 
Ya Abbas, call my companions. Call my companions. So Al Abbas radiallahu anhu called out, Ya Ashabu Rasulillah, Ya Ashaba Rasulillah, Ya Ashaba Rasulillah, O oh, companions of Rasulullah, come. But it didn't really have much of an effect. People didn't start coming. So then the Prophet said, Ya Abbas, call the companions of a samura. A samura is a type of tree. And it is the tree that the companions had taken the bay'ah al-ridwan to the Prophet at the, at the time of Hudaybiyah, there were a number of companions who took a pledge of allegiance with the Prophet under a tree. And the type of tree that was, that was a samura. So the Prophet wanted to remind these companions, you are the same companions who took this oath of allegiance with me under that tree. So if they were reminded of that event and that incident, it would give them courage and they would come back to the battlefield. So he told Abbas, he said, Ya Abbas, call the companions of a samura of that tree so that they will remember the pledge of allegiance that they took at Hudaybiyah. So Abbas radiallahu anhi called out, Ya Ashab al-Samura, Ya Ashab al-Samura. So then when they heard that, a number of the companions who were there at Hudaybiyah and who had taken that pledge under that tree, it rem they remembered it and it affected their hearts and they came back. They came around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. About a hundred men, they came back around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they started to fight valiantly against the kuffar. And they slaughtered a number of the kuffar. And also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down angels at the battle of Hunayn. Allah sent down angels. The angels did not fight in this battle. On the day of Badr, the angels came down and they actually fought against the kuffar. On the day of Hunayn, the angels came down, but they did not fight. But they came down in order to strike fear into the hearts of the kuffar. So a number of angels came down and the kuffar were able to see them. Huge numbers. And the kuffar, of course, they didn't know that they were angels. They thought that they were soldiers. They saw them as knights on horses wearing white. And it was a huge number, so this struck fear into the hearts of the kuffar. So now the tribes of Hawazin, they started to flee the battlefield. They started to run away. And when the kuffar started to run away from the battlefield, the Muslims, alhamdulillah, they started to come back to the battlefield. Because a number of them had fled, but now they started coming back, alhamdulillah. So the kuffar are fleeing the battlefield, and what happens to all of the gold and the silver and the animals that they had left on the battlefield, just like Duraid, the old man, had said. They didn't even think about that. They abandoned everything. They abandoned their women. They abandoned their camels. They abandoned their sheep. They abandoned their goats. They abandoned their gold. They abandoned their silver. And they ran for their lives. And they ran away. But the Prophet ﷺ said, Okay, leave the spoils for now. We're not going to take the spoils right now because we need to chase the kuffar. We need to chase them where they're going. Because even if they are fleeing the battlefield, perhaps they will reorganize themselves and the threat will still be there. They can still attack us later. So the Prophet ﷺ said, we need to chase them. We need to chase them and we need to finish this threat once and for all. So the Prophet ﷺ asked, where is Khalid? Where is Khalid ibn al-Walid? And remember, Khalid was injured very badly early on in the battle. So the Sahaba, they looked for Khalid ibn al-Walid and they found him. They found him, but he was very badly injured. He was bleeding and he had lots of wounds all over his body and he could barely move. He could barely move. As for Malik ibn Auf, who was the commander of the army of Hawazin, he fled along with his army. He ran away with his army from the battlefield, but his intention was he wanted to reorganize his army and attack again. This was his plan. So he was starting to reorganize his army. He was starting to gather his people and reorganize the army. As he was reorganizing, the Muslims started catching up with him. The first group who caught up with Malik as he was reorganizing the army, the first group of Muslims who caught up was the group from Bani Sulaim. The group from Bani Sulaim. And 
the soldiers of Bani Sulaim, they could be recognized because they would keep their bows, you know, the bows that they would shoot the arrows with, they would keep it around their necks. Their style was that they would be riding their animals and they would keep their bows over their necks. So this is how you could recognize these soldiers are from Bani Sulaim. So as they caught up, Malik said, who are these soldiers? And he was told, okay, these are the ones who have the bows around their necks. They are the soldiers from Bani Sulaim. So Malik said, okay, continue. We will continue to reorganize because these soldiers from Bani Sulaim, they're not very good fighters. We don't need to worry too much about them. Then later on, as Malik was still reorganizing his army, another group of Muslims came. And they had their bows behind them. They're riding their animals and their bows are behind them. And this was the way of the Ansar. This was the way of the Ansar. They would keep their bows behind them while they rode their animals. So they came. And then Malik said, who are these people? And then he was told, they are the Ansar. They are the soldiers of Medina. So Malik said, okay, don't worry about them. Continue to reorganize. They continued to reorganize and then another group of Muslim soldiers came, was coming towards them. And this group of soldiers, they had their bows in the front. The Ansar, they would keep it in the back. Bani Sulaim, they would keep it on their necks. Now this third group, they had their bows in the front. So who was this third group? These were the Muhajireen. These were the people of Mecca who had made Hijrah to Medina when the Prophet ﷺ made Hijrah to Medina. So these were the Muhajireen. And these were very good fighters like Az-Zubair ibn al-Awam and others from the Muhajireen. So when Malik saw them, that these are the Muhajireen, and he saw one of them in particular who had a yellow turban on. And he said, who is this? Who is this man with the yellow turban? And he was told that is Az-Zubair ibn al-Awam. And then when he heard this is Zubair ibn al-Awam, he told his people, forget about reorganizing, let's run. And they ran. They abandoned the battlefield. And they escaped. Some of them went to a, an area nearby there called Ilya. And others, they went all the way back to At-Ta'if. So this is how the Ma'raka or the Battle of Hunayn ended with the Kuffar fleeing the battlefield going back to At-Ta'if and some of them going to Ilya. So now the Prophet ﷺ, he took control of the area. Now Hunayn was taken control of by the Prophet ﷺ with all of the wealth that the tribes of Hawazin left there. Massive amounts of gold and silver, 40,000 goats and sheep, 24,000 camels, 6,000 women. This was a spoil that the Muslims had never seen before. This is the biggest spoils of war that they had ever seen. There at Hunayn. So this was the battle of Hunayn. But the Prophet ﷺ was not finished with this. Remember, the threat is still there because these people... They can go back to Taif, they can reorganize themselves and they can attack again. So the Prophet ﷺ wanted to continue and he wanted to follow them. As for all of the spoils of war, all of those animals and the gold and the silver and everything, the Prophet ﷺ ordered for a camp to be set up at a, loca a location outside of Mecca called Ju'rana. A place called Ju'rana, right outside of Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ ordered for uh, a camp to be set up there where all of the spoils of war it would be kept there nothing would be distributed right now everything would be kept at Ju'rana and the distribution would be later because now they had to focus on going to Ta'if and neutralizing this threat once and for all alright as we mentioned Khalid ibn al-Walid he was very badly injured he couldn't even walk he could barely even move he was bleeding he was wounded so they found him and they brought him to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ spit in his garment and he would rub the wounds of Khalid ibn al-Walid with his garment. He would spit in his own garment and then he would rub that on the wounds of Khalid ibn al-Walid. And Khalid ibn al-Walid's, his wounds, they healed right in front of their eyes, right then and there. And this is one of the miracles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet ﷺ. There was shifa. There was a healing in his saliva. 
So Khalid, he was okay now, alhamdulillah. And he got up and he was fine. So the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, now we are going to At-Ta'if. We're going to continue this and we're going to go to At-Ta'if. As for Duraid ibn As-Summa, the old man who was the strategic advisor for the army of Hawazin, whatever happened with him? All right, there was a young Ansari companion, a very young boy. He was only 16 years old and this was his first battle. This is the first time he is fighting alongside with the Muslims. A young companion named Rabi'ah ibn Rafi' al-Aslami radiyallahu anhu. So he happened to come across the Hawdaj or the tent where Durayt ibn al-Summa was inside. And of course when he saw this Hawdaj, he saw this tent, he immediately assumed this is a woman because that is how the women used to travel. So he assumed it was a woman so he wanted to take this tent, he wanted to take this camel with this tent on it, he wanted to take it where all of the other prisoners, where all of the other women were being kept. So he started taking it, but then Duraid called out from inside the Hawdaj. And Rabi'ah noticed that this is not a woman, this is the voice of a man. So he went and he went to investigate. So when he saw Duraid inside that Hawdaj, and he saw this is not a woman, this is a man. Rabi'ah wanted to kill him. He thought, okay, this is one of the men soldiers who was participating in the battle, I'm going to kill him. Now remember, Rabi'ah, he's 16 years old. This is the first time he's ever fighting in a battle. He's not experienced at all. So he goes to Duraid and Duraid, even though he's old, he's a very experienced warrior and he knows all of the techniques of fighting. So Rabi'ah goes to him and he hits him with his sword on his shoulder. And it's not a strong strike at all and it does not affect Duraid at all. He's fine. Even though he's hit by the sword, it doesn't hurt him. Because Rabi'ah was not experienced in how to hit someone with a sword. So Duraid, he laughed. He laughed and he said, what's your name? And Rabi'ah said, my name is Rabi'ah ibn Rafi' al-Aslami. And Duraid, when he heard this name, he immediately recognized the family. He immediately recognized his family. And he said to Rabi'ah, you know, I have defended your women. I have defended your women in the past. And then Duraid started teaching Rabi'ah how to kill someone with a sword. The way that you hit me with the sword on my shoulder like that, that's not the right way that you strike a person with a sword. I will teach you how to do it. I will teach you how to do it. I will show you exactly where to hit with the sword so that you can kill a person with one blow. Give me your sword. So Rabi'ah said, okay. He gave him his sword. And when Duraid saw the sword of Rabi'ah, he said, what kind of a sword do you have? This is not even a sharp sword. This is not a good sword. Leave this sword. Get my sword. I have kept my sword in the back. Go and get my sword and bring it to me and I'll show you how to use it. So Rabi'ah said, okay. He got the sword of Duraid. And then Duraid showed him. He said, okay, if you want to kill a person, you have to strike them under the brain, but above the spine. Under the brain, above the spine. Hit them with one sharp hit and you finish them quickly like that. So this is how you do it. And he showed him. He showed Rabi'ah how to kill him. He said, okay, strike me right here. Strike me right in this location with one big strike and you will kill me like that. This is how you do it. So he actually showed Rabi'ah how to kill him. But he said before striking him, he said to Rabi'ah, but go and tell your mother about me. Remind your mother about Durayt ibn As-Summa and see what she tells you about me. Remember he had recognized the name Rabi'ah ibn Rafi' al-Aslami. He remembered that family. He knows that family. So he told Rabi'ah, you go ahead and kill me. Strike me where I told you to strike me. But then you go to your mother and you remind her about me and how I have saved the women of your family. So Rabi'ah said, okay. And he struck Duraid exactly as he had instructed. And that was the end of Duraid ibn As-Summa. Duraid ibn As-Summa was killed by Rabi'ah ibn Rafi' al-Aslami. So Rabi'ah, he went back to his mother and he told her about what happened. And he said that this man, he told me to remind you about him. Duraid ibn As-Summa. And when the mother of Rabi'ah heard this name, Duraid ibn As-Summa, she started to cry. She started to cry and she said, Oh my son, when he told you that he has defended your women and he has saved your women, why didn't you leave him? Why did you kill him? 
And then she told him the story. She told her son the story. She said, years ago, years ago, me and my mother and my sister. So the mother of Rabi'ah and the grandmother of Rabi'ah and the aunt of Rabi'ah. So the mother of Rabi'ah is saying, me and my mother and my sister. Years ago, we had been taken as prisoners. And Duraid ibn al-Summa, he came and he saved us and he freed us. This is Duraid ibn al-Summa. So this was the story of Duraid ibn al-Summa and his death and how he had saved the woman of al-Aslami tribe before in the past. So now the Prophet ﷺ, he has complete control of Hunayn. And as we mentioned, the spoils were massive. And he ordered for the camp to be set up in Ju'rana, where all the spoils were kept. And he put Budayl ibn al-Warqa, Budayl ibn Warqa al-Khuza'i in charge of those spoils. And then he decided to move forward and to go to At-Ta'if. The Prophet ﷺ and the army, they moved forward to go to At-Ta'if. And he put Khalid ibn al-Walid in front of the army again. Now Khalid ibn al-Walid, he's fine. He has been healed, alhamdulillah. So Khalid ibn al-Walid is in the front of the army again. And they head towards At-Ta'if. When the Prophet ﷺ and the army of the Muslims reached At-Ta'if, the people of Ta'if had secured themselves in a fortress. They had secured themselves in a fortress. Similar to how the people of Khaybar had secured themselves in the fortresses of Khaybar. So the people of Ta'if, they had a fortress and they had kept themselves secured inside the fortress. So the Prophet ﷺ and his army, they came and they surrounded Ta'if. And the Prophet ﷺ sent a messenger, Yazid ibn Zum'ah. Yazid ibn Zum'ah was sent by the Prophet ﷺ as his messenger to go to the people of Ta'if or to go to the leaders of Ta'if and to invite them either to accept Islam or surrender. Either become Muslims or surrender peacefully and we don't have to fight. So Yazid ibn Zum'ah, he entered and he said, I am the messenger of the messenger of Allah. Will you give me safety? Do I have safety as a messenger? And they said, yes, you are safe. As a messenger, you are safe. So he entered with this promise of safety. As soon as he entered, they killed him. They killed the messenger of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is something that, that is considered a great betrayal. Messengers are safe. It is common amongst all of the people, whether they are Muslim or non-Muslims, that messengers and ambassadors, they are guaranteed safety. So this man, he was guaranteed safety and still they killed him anyways. So the Prophet sallallahu realized that these people, they are not interested in surrendering peacefully. So we have to prepare for battle. So the Prophet ﷺ told his army, prepare to attack. So there was a group of Muslims who tried to attack the fortress. They tried to attack the fortress and enter the fortress, but they were unable to do so. The fortress was pretty strong and the people inside that fortress were able to ward the Muslims off by shooting arrows at them. So this group of Muslims, they had to go back. They had to retreat. <coughs> While the Prophet ﷺ and his army were outside of Ta'if, sieging the city. The Prophet ﷺ made some strategic orders. And one of these orders was that Hasak should be placed all around the city. Hasak, it's like sharp metal. Sharp metal. Uh, basically like spikes, right? So you keep these sharp metal spikes around the city. So people cannot pass through that area. They cannot walk on those spikes. And even animals, if they walk on those spikes, they will get injured. They will not be able to cross. So the Prophet ﷺ ordered for the, this hasak or these spikes to be kept all around the city except in the direction where the Muslims were coming from. So the direction where the Muslims were entering the city, that was kept clear. But as for the other directions, these spikes were kept all around so the kuffar would not have maneuverability. They would not be able to come from a different angle and come from the back or anything like that. If they wanted to face the Muslims, they had to confront them face to face. So this was one of the orders of the Prophet ﷺ. So they kept those spikes all around the city. Now, the Muslims, they tried to mount a second attack on the fortress. 
They tried to mount a second attack on the fortress, but again, they were unable to do it. Now, while all of this was going on, Uyayna ibn Hisn, if you remember this name, Uyayna ibn Hisn, also known as Al-Ahmaq al-Muta'a. Uyayna ibn Hisn, who was the leader of the tribe of Ghatafan, he and his people had caused many, many problems for the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims in the past. So Uyayna ibn Hisn, now he was a Muslim. He had accepted Islam right before the Fath of Mecca. So he was a new Muslim. But he did not have strong Iman in his heart. Rather, he was after the spoils of war. His main intention was, look, if I'm with the Muslims, the Muslims are winning everything now these days. If I'm with them, we will collect huge amounts of wealth and huge amounts of spoils for the war. So this was the reason why Uyayna ibn Hassan became Muslim. Not because he had strong belief in his heart, but because he wanted spoils of war. So right before the conquest of Mecca, before the Fath of Mecca, Uyayna came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Rasulullah, ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna ka Rasulullah. He accepted Islam, he took his shahada. And he was with the Prophet ﷺ when he came into Mecca and he was still with the Prophet ﷺ now here in At-Ta'if. But his tribe is not with him. The tribe of Ghatafan was not there with their leader. They were not there with Uyayna. It was Uyayna himself. So Uyayna was thinking to himself, look, if the Muslims fight with the people of Ta'if, they will collect huge spoils here. And my tribe Ghatafan, we will not get anything from that. I may get something personally because I'm physically here, but my tribe Ghatafan, they will get nothing. So Uyayna was thinking to himself, how can I make sure that there is no surrender from Ta'if? Imagine this. Uyayna, he wants Ta'if to fight with the Muslims instead of surrender. Someone who has strong Iman in their heart, they will rather have the enemy surrender than fighting them. Why shed blood if something can be done peacefully? So the real true believers, they would always want a peaceful resolution to this type of a situation. They would rather have a surrender than a fight, even if that means no spoils of war. If they surrender, then they get to keep their wealth. But Uyena, he didn't want this. He wanted their wealth. So he didn't want a surrender. So this was acting in contradiction to what the true aims of the Muslim army was. The true aim of a Muslim army is never just to collect spoils of war. No. The aim is for the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be high. So Uyayna, this was not his thinking. He wanted the spoils. So he wanted to make sure that there is a battle, that Ta'if will not surrender. But at the same time, he also wanted to delay the battle. He wanted to delay it to the extent where he could bring Ghatafan, where his tribe could come and they could participate in participate in the battle as well so that when the spoils come they would collect a huge amount because Ghatafan is a big tribe so this was his thinking of course he didn't tell this to the Prophet or to the Muslim army because of course they would not agree to this so Uyayna ibn Husn al-Ahmaq al-Muta' the fool who was obeyed by his people this is the meaning of his nickname al-Ahmaq al-Muta' A foolish person who is obeyed by his people. He was obeyed by the people of Ghatafan. No matter what he ordered them to do, they would do it. Whether it made sense or not. So anyways, Uyayna ibn Hassan, what he decided to do to materialize his plan to bring Ghatafan and make sure that there is a fight. He went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Rasulullah, let me go and negotiate with the leaders of At-Taif. I know them very well and I think I can negotiate them to surrender. If I go and I talk with them, I can probably negotiate a surrender. So the Prophet ﷺ said to Uyayna, okay, go ahead, you go and you try to negotiate with them. So Uyayna, he entered Ta'if and he started to negotiate with the leaders of At-Taif. The leaders of At-Taif asked Uyayna, what is the situation? What's going on? And remember, at this point, At-Taif they were seriously considering surrendering. They were seriously considered that, considering that they should surrender. But now Uyayna ibn Hassan, he comes in and they ask him, what's the situation? And Uyayna ibn Hassan, he says, what is the situation? The army of Muhammad, it's so weak. It is so weak. He has people from Bani Sulaim who are in his army. And Bani, Bani Sulaim, 
they just became Muslims before the Fath of Mecca, before the conquest of Mecca. They're not even strong believers. You know, he can't even depend upon them. Also, he has people from the Quraysh who just became Muslims right now. And they really don't even like him. So this is his army. They're weak and they don't have strong resolve in them. And they have resentment towards him. But you guys, the people of Taif, the army of Taif, you are strong and you are powerful. You are even stronger than the Jews of Khaybar. And I was there at Khaybar as well. And I saw the Jews of Khaybar and how they fought. You guys are stronger than them. Don't surrender. Why, why do you want to surrender? You can defeat these people. So stay strong. So Taif who was ready almost to surrender. And this was about to be resolved without bloodshed. But Uyayna ibn Hassan, he pumped them up. And when they heard what he had to say, they decided, okay, it looks like we don't need to surrender. We can easily fight these Muslims. So now the idea of surrender was gone from their minds. And this was the plan of Uyayna. He didn't want surrender. He wanted a fight. So now this was a betrayal by Uyayna ibn Hassan to the Muslims. Now he came back to the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ asked him, how did it go? How did your talk with the leaders of Ta'if go? And Uyayna, he lied. He lied to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I scared them. I told them that you have a very strong and powerful, a big army and you can destroy them. And I told them that even the Jews of Khaybar, they could not withstand the army of the Muslims. And you guys, you are nothing compared to the Jews of Khaybar. You are much weaker than them. So if Khaybar could not withstand the Muslims, then you guys have no chance to withstand the Muslims. The best thing for you guys to do, you should surrender. This is what he told the Prophet ﷺ, that he told them. Even though he actually told the people of Taif the exact opposite. So this is what he told the Prophet ﷺ. I said this, I said this, I said this. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, is this what you said? And Uyayna said, yes, Ya Rasulullah. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, no. Rather, you said this and this and this. And he told him exactly what he said. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had told him exactly what Uyayna had told those people. So now Uyayna, he was caught. He was caught red-handed. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, you can guess what his reaction to this was, right? He said, Ya Rasulullah, give me permission to chop the head off of this munafiq. And then the Prophet said, Leave him, Ya Umar. I don't want the people to say that Muhammad kills his companions. If I order for him to be killed, what are the people going to say? They're going to say, Muhammad, he kills his own companions. We don't want this. This was the brilliance of the Prophet, the long term thinking of the Prophet. So he said, Umar, leave him. And Abu Bakr, even he was very upset that Uyayna did this. He said to Uyayna, He said, Ya Uyayna. How can you do such a thing? How can you commit such an act of betrayal? Even though you have said, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah, still you can do such a thing like this? How can you do such a thing? And then Uyayna, he said, Ana da'if, I'm just weak. Istaghfirli, istaghfirli. Just ask Allah to forgive me. Ask Allah to forgive me. I'm, I'm weak, I'm weak. This was his defense. So now, because of Uyayna's actions, the idea of surrender is out of the minds of the leaders of Taif. They have a firm resolve now that they are going to fight against the Muslims. So a battle is going to ensue. And inshallah, next week we will speak about the battle of Taif bi-ithnillah. Wallahu alam, sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.